0: All right, so this breakout is on um, abuse and forgiveness. Um, And I guess I'll just start out by saying this, that, you know, I know maybe some of y'all came to the breakout because this just happened to be where you were when 11 o'clock struck. Um, Maybe some of you came to the breakout because you know that it's a common occurrence that abuse, whether uh, physical abuse, like violent attacks, Um, or verbal, mental abuse, um, or whether it be uh, sexual abuse, uh, rape, or um, molestation, that it's just extremely common uh, occurrence in, I would say, our culture, but really the world. Um, The statistics are just for sexual assault. um, They say that one in three girls, one in three will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Uh, for guys, they say it's one to six, one to seven. Uh, both are difficult to be sure of because that's just reported, um, so beyond that, it's just uh, guesswork, but it extremely common, but that something being common doesn't make it uh, all right or easier to deal with. And so you know for my for me personally doing this breakout, uh, I, I set out just to do a breakout on forgiveness period. And in studying forgiveness in the Bible, the Lord really began to reveal things in my own life that I hadn't uh, dealt with, um, at least to the degree that he was prepared for me to deal with it. Um, And so it's turned to this, and and my story is that I I grew up in a home with uh, an abusive father, who, both uh, verbally and and physically abusive, um, primarily to my mother at first. always yelling and degrading, um, and then also uh, physically violent with her. And so from a young age, you know, just having those memories, knowing that that was happening. And then by the time I was about five or six, the physical violence I um, uh, started to experience. And so uh, with that kind of as my, my background, just uh, with my dad, and then my uncle, I have an uncle who molested me as a child, Um, On on two occasions. And so, uh, throughout my life, like, the stuff with my dad is primarily what I focused on. And a lot of the the anger that I experienced, um, I I associated with that. The stuff with my uncle, I I buried pretty deep. I didn't try not to think about it. Didn't want to talk about it. Just kind of, like, pretend like it didn't happen. And kind of a false, superficial, forgive and forget, time heals all wounds type approach. And what I learned with both was just that, uh, man, these types of wounds have to be dealt with. Uh, the, the anger and the pain and the bitterness uh, of this type of attack, assault on you, um, has to be dealt with. And, and, and we, will, we will deal with it um, one way or the other. And so what I want to do in the breakout is I want to walk through some ways that people deal with this kind of on their own. Maybe if we could relate it to the message we just heard is maybe looking for uh, salvation in the wrong places, putting our faith in the wrong things, grabbing onto rocks rather than the rope. Um, And so I want to look at what some of those things are that would, instead of bringing salvation, would ultimately bring more destruction into our lives. Um, And I want to look at some warnings for those of us who have been abused, whether that's verbally, physically, physically. Or sexually, I'm going to look at some real warnings that we need to wrestle with, so some, some tough things to think about. But ultimately, where we're moving is towards hope, uh, towards hope for uh, ourselves and then what that means um, going forward in our lives and, and relationships with people, especially as we think forward towards the most intimate of relationships that you'll have in your life, uh, your relationship with your spouse one day, your husband or your wife, and then with your children. And, um, so that's where we're going. But we're moving towards hope, right? We're moving towards Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to talk about some tough stuff, but but that's where we're going, right? That, that, that's, that should be the undertone to everything is we're moving towards hope. So let me read you this uh, quote real quick. If you're a, a youth pastor or a youth leader, um, somebody from your church should have gotten a book that we handed out um, called Rid of My Disgrace or Rid of Disgrace. Uh, I think a really helpful resource Um, It's written to somebody who's been through this kind of thing, Um, but I think a great resource to know how to minister to people. So uh, hopefully you got that. If not, let me know. Um, But this is a quote from this book. It says this, what happened to you was not your fault. You are not to blame. You did not deserve it. You did not ask for this. You should not be silenced. You are not worthless. You don't have to pretend like nothing happened. Nobody had the right to violate you. You are not responsible for what happened to you. You are not damaged goods. You were supposed to be treated with dignity and respect. You were the victim of assault and it was wrong. You were sinned against. Despite all the pain, healing can happen and there is hope. It's real important to hear that. It's important for you to hear and believe that this was not your fault. It's not your fault. What happened to you was not your fault. You need to believe it. And li- listen to me, man. Have you guys noticed in life that uh, people are weird? You notice I just go ahead and take a second, look around the room. You're surrounded by weirdness. Hey, Michael. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You're great. We're all weird, right? <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Not really. Hey, Will! Will Avent, everybody? Will, are you normal? Weird, right? Eric Croft, one of the weirdest guys I know. <laughs> We're weird. We do weird things. I, uh, okay. I've already been pretty vulnerable with you guys. One of the weird things I do, and I've tried to stop, I, I pick my nose like crazy when I drive. I just do. And sometimes there's not great options to do something with it. But uh, we're weird. Here's, Here's one of the weird things we do, just as people. Here's one of the weird things we do. For some reason, as victims, people who have been sinned against in these type of ways, man, we hold on to the guilt of it. Not just the pain and not just the anger that would come from it, But somehow we hold on to the guilt of what was done to us as if somehow we're responsible for somebody else's actions and crime and and, and sin. And so I need you to hear this. I need you to believe it. What was done to you was wrong. It was evil. It's not your fault. You need to believe that. It was not your fault what happened to you. But listen to me. What you do with it, where you go from here is your responsibility. You hear me? What happened to you is not your fault. What we do with it is our responsibility. It's common for people who have been through these types of things to maybe not in the front of your mind. Maybe you don't vocalize. You don't you don't say this out loud. But it's common for us to think in terms of. okay, why? Why did this happen? We begin to ask questions. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Did I deserve it? Did I want this to happen? You know, for me, I grew up in a, in a home where, at least from my mom, she taught me the truth of Scripture. She taught me that God was good, that God is all-powerful, that God's everywhere, and that God sees everything. He knows everything. And so one of the underlining questions in my life was then, well, then why did this happen? Did I, did I deserve this? Is this punishment? Is God not good? Am I just unworthy of his protection and his love? Why Why didn't he show up? Why didn't he intervene? I remember being a little kid, pulling the sheet over my head as I knew what my dad was doing to my mom. And praying that when I pulled the covers back down, everything would be awesome. Where was he? What was going on? And if we're not careful... If we're not careful, we'll look for the answer to those questions that for some of us, you don't even know that you're seeking an answer for those questions. We'll look for those answers in, in really bad places and we'll come up with the answers on our own and it won't be correct. We need to move towards Jesus. So I want to look at some uh, warnings for us. Okay? The first one I already kind of mentioned, maybe a rock that we would grab onto for a, for momentary peace, for momentary escape. And it, it, and it's what I refer to as like kind of that superficial forgive and forget. Maybe you hear somebody just kind of, uh, loosely throw out there, well, you need to forgive. True, but it, we need to build on what that means. So for me, yeah, I really, I really tried to just forgive and forget and move on. Have you ever heard that phrase, time heals all wounds? Time heals all wounds. It sounds good, doesn't it? Time heals all wounds. Is that true? If you get a paper cut, give it some time, chief. You're going to be all right. Um, I recently found out if a uh, venomous spider bites you, you're going to want to get that looked at. You're going to want to get that taken care of. And not by your own expertise. Go to a doctor, right? Yeah, you get... You get a deep wound, right? Somebody shoots you in the stomach. Time is not going to heal that wound, right? Get it looked at. Why? Well, if you don't just bleed out, man, an infection is going to set in. It's going to poison you and kill you from the inside out. And and what we're talking about, abuse, physical, verbal, sexual, that is a deep wound. That is a deep wound. And the danger is that if you don't deal with it correctly, man, it's going to get infected. And that affection is going to be called bitterness. If you hang on to the guilt, if you hang on to the shame, if you hang on to the anger and it turns into wrath and vengeance, it is going to poison you from the inside out. And it will affect every relationship you have. For me, uh, man, I ran towards momentary escape. I dove into momentary escape, whether that was through something I drank or something I took or superficial, unhealthy relationships with girls. And I was looking for momentary salvation, momentary freedom. And you know, all it brought was more destruction. And some of us are going to gravitate towards that to deal with the pain, the anger, the resentment. We're going to gravitate in that way, just heaping on destructive behavior into our life. And kind of taking the... The pain of what was done to us that we've experienced and that we feel and using that as a license to sin as an excuse for what we're doing. And man, it just you're just holding on to a rock. You're inviting further pain, further destruction into your life. For some of us, for some of you, you don't go in that direction. For some of you, for the outside, it seems like you've got it all together. Because the salvation you're seeking is in success. It's in excelling in academics. And from the outside, it seems like you got it all together. You excel at a sport. Pour into a hobby, an an instrument. And from the outside, it looks like you got it all together. But on the inside, you're waging this battle on your own. And you're eaten up with guilt and shame, anger. For some of us, it's a rebellious, loud, acting out. For some of us, it's a quiet, reserved, withdrawn personality. And both of those are cries for help. If I can say on the side, as, as a Christian, man, when we see people living destructive lives... When we see people living in ways that, like, man, they're destroying their mind, their body, their soul, that should be a SOS to us for help. We should see that behavior as a cry, please come tell me about Jesus, instead of, man, let's keep our kids away from that guy. Instead of, man, how, are the, how, would, the, how would the old folks respond to that person sitting in a pew? Let's, let's attack that person with the gospel, <laughs> Instead of saying, man, she's quiet, she's really shy, or, man, he's hard to read, you never know where he's at. Instead of seeing a person who is isolated, as awkward and weird, man, may we see it as somebody who's imprisoned within themselves and needs the freedom that only the gospel, man, only the gospel can bring. For some of us, it really does turn into just vengeance. You're eaten up with thoughts of revenge. And somehow, as you focus on that, and, and again, like a, a, as if it could, as if it could affect the person that you feel so angry towards, they have no idea, and all that's really going on is, man, you're poisoning your own heart, your own mind. One last warning. That's my least favorite one. I hate to think about it. I don't like to talk about it. But we need we need to hit this one head on. We need to face it. We need to stare this one right in the eyes. There's a real danger. There's a real danger if you've been abused in this way. There's a real danger that you'll become what you hate. There's a real danger that you'll repeat in your lifetime, to somebody else, what was done to you. Statistically, you know who molests little kids? Who abuse people violently? Who, with their words, destroy your self-esteem and self-worth, your identity, your soul? You know who does that, statistically? Statistically? people that had that done to them. This fear used to eat me alive because I saw myself becoming like my dad. I saw it the temper, the anger, the insecurities. I saw myself becoming what I hated. I was terrified that I'd repeat what was done to me. To the point where, for a large portion of my teenage years, I thought, I'll never get married, never have kids. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I hate this one. I hate this warning. But we need to hear it. This type of wound, this type of pain the sin that was committed against you, we have to. We have to deal with this through the blood, through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus. There's hope. There is hope in Jesus. Confident expectation that He can rescue you from the pain of what was done to you. The anger can be removed. The effects of it, that you are not destined to repeat what was done to you. But that hope is in Jesus. That's where we have to go. I know... uh, I know for some of you, part of what adds to the pain, part of what makes this so hard, is that not only was the attack probably done by somebody you should have been able to trust, a parent, a relative, a family friend, a neighbor... Maybe it was a stranger. Maybe it was a one-time incident for you, and that doesn't make it necessarily any easier because there's the fear of the, the unknown. But for a lot of you, it was it was somebody close to home. And part of what makes it so painful is maybe you did cry out. Maybe you did tell somebody. And what you're dealing with now is that maybe if it was like my family, maybe there was an immediate outrage about what was done. Followed by silence, inactivity. Man, that hurts. That hurts. And I know for some of you, that hurts. Maybe that wound is a little bit closer to the surface than the others. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. I hate it. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Where's the hope? Where's the healing? First thing is this. The gospel. <laughs> the gospel. Jesus. Right? If we can back up from, for a second. Let's put our lives in the bigger context here. We have all sinned. Listen to me. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God. We were born sinful. We come from Adam and Eve. They fell and we all inherited not only their guilt, but their sin. And that sin brings death. All of us have sinned against God and deserve His just punishment. All of us. Everybody. We all deserve the wrath of God. But God, in His grace, And His mercy and His love came to rescue us, right? The gospel is this, that we sinned against a holy God and we deserve His punishment, His hell. But the same God that we sinned against, the same God who we offend by our thoughts and our words and our action, that that God would love us so much that He would humble Himself, become one of us, born of a virgin, free from the sin that you and I are born into, Fully God, but fully man. And he would live a sinless, righteous life. That he would live the righteousness that we were supposed to live. That we were supposed to obey God. Live for the glory of God. Love God. Have relationship with him. We were made for that. And we haven't. We have no righteousness to offer. Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life. He lives a righteous life. And then goes to the cross and absorbs the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He takes the hell that you and I deserve. But He also takes the shame and the guilt, not only of the sins that we've committed, but, against, but for the sins that were committed against us. And He rises again victorious over sin and death and hell. He absorbs and satisfies the wrath of God so that in Christ there is no wrath left over for you. There is no place in hell for you in Jesus. Because He took it. Not only so he could free you from the power of sin that would rule over you. Not only so he could free you from the penalty of sin that would send you to hell forever. But so he could free you from the shame and the pain of the sins committed against you in this life. We asked the question earlier, where was God when all this happened to me? Why didn't he intervene? I don't know why he didn't show up in my room that night. I don't know why when I pulled the covers over my head that the yelling was still going on. I don't know. I don't know the answer to all of these questions. But where was he? He was sitting on his throne as a sovereign God of the universe. And Jesus sits on that throne with nail scarred hands and nail scarred feet. And that means this, that I don't know why he didn't save you in the moment, but I know that he, Jesus, entered into your suffering and your shame and your pain in a much deeper way. Because he entered into it in a way to save you for eternity. He entered into it in a way to save you forever and to give you a new identity, to give you purpose and peace and joy and hope that is set up in heaven and cannot be touched or destroyed by anybody. We can trust Jesus. So, where does hope start? Where does healing start? Man, trust Jesus. Go to Jesus in repentance and faith for him to rescue you, for him to save you. Trust him for your salvation. Trust him with his healing. You need to actively listen to me. Listen to me. If you're the victim of abuse, here's what's common about us we attack ourselves with our own thoughts. We lie to ourselves. We believe that we're worthless. We believe that somehow we deserved it. And you'll be attacked by self hatred. You'll give in to depression. You'll some in some sick, twisted way, feel at home loathing and hating yourself. and we need to combat that. We need a war against that, but not on our own. What what needs to happen is we need to find our identity in Jesus. Who you are, why you're here, your purpose, your security, your sense of worth, your 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 ideas about being loved, they need to come from scripture. Listen to me, we need to believe what God says to be true about us. Not what we think about us, not what anybody else says about us. We need to believe what God's word says to be true about us. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. We need to believe it. We need to let it sink deep down into us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. Listen, listen to me. Listen to what the Bible says to be true about you in Jesus. Listen to how many times it says in him or in Christ. Ephesians 1 starting in verse 3. having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You need to believe it. In Jesus God says you are holy and blameless. God has adopted you as a son or a daughter. He has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. He has forgiven you. He has redeemed you. You've been set free from guilt, from shame, from the power of sin. You've been sealed with his Holy Spirit. Listen, it says, it says before the foundation of the world. It means that before God ever said, let there be, he chose to love you, to forgive you, that you would be his son, that you would be his daughter. That's what's true about you. God gets to determine your value and your worth. And we need to believe it. Where does healing come from? Trust Christ for salvation. Find your identity in him. He will rewrite your story. You are not destined to repeat what was done to you. In Christ, you will be conformed to His image, and you'll be changed, listen to me, from one degree of glory to another. We need to trust him with his justice. Trust him with his justice. It's, it's our right to be angry at evil things. Did you know that? The Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's our right to be angry at evil things. It's our right to be mad at injustice. Up to a point. Up to a point to where it becomes vengeance and wrath. Because we weren't made for that. We're not God. We can't hand out death and life we can't hand out eternity. Only God can handle that. The danger is that if you and I hold on to vengeance, when we fantasize about somebody else's destruction, when we wish nothing but harm on somebody, that'll poison you, it'll destroy you. We need to let go of it, we need to release that and trust it to God. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Trust God. Release the anger and the wrath and the vengeance to Jesus. Trust Him with it. Forgiveness is tricky. Do you know what I found out studying about forgiveness, especially in the New Testament? Most of the passages that we have are in the context... Of a believer seeking forgiveness for, from another believer. And then the instruction is forgive him. If he's repenting and he's seeking forgiveness, forgive. As you've been forgiven in Christ, forgive. But with that, there's a couple things they're seeking forgiveness. The repent and, and repentance is involved, which means at least the beginning of change. But let me ask you a question. Does God forgive everybody? Let me ask it this way. Does everyone go to heaven? Is everyone going to heaven? No. Who Who does God forgive? People who repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus, right? So, it's too simplistic to think or to say to somebody who's been attacked this way, we just need to forgive. And sometimes people who are well meaning can say really dumb things, <laughs> really bad things at the wrong time. It's not that easy to say, just forgive. Well, what are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with somebody who is really asking for forgiveness and is showing the fruit of change in their life? Are we dealing with somebody who denies it and acts like it didn't happen? Are we dealing with somebody who currently is still abusing you in this way? Are we dealing with a stranger who you didn't know before and you don't know if you'll ever see him again? Are we dealing with somebody who, if they're not doing it to you, they're probably doing it to somebody else right now? What's that going to look like? What is forgiveness going to look like in all these different situations? Just forgiving, because when God forgives us, we're reconciled. It means we're brought back into a right, a good, a perfect, a original, with original intentions intact relationship with God. So does it mean if you forgive your uncle for molesting you, then you should spend the holiday with him? No, this is much more complex than that, Right? The reality is that forgiving them may mean trusting God with justice so that I no longer harbor ill will towards them. I no longer fantasize about their destruction and their torment. That I no longer am eaten up by thoughts of committing murder or torture. And I release that. I I let go of those thoughts. I let go of the anger and the wrath. I trust God with it. What does that look like? For me, when I find myself, because this is a process, when I find myself angry, when I find myself dwelling on those thoughts, it looks like me stopping and asking God to take away the anger. Asking God to help me not think that way towards that person. It looks like me asking God to rescue that person, to save them, to change them. Because maybe God's justice in that person's life looks like them spending eternity in hell. Maybe that's what it looks like. Or maybe his justice in that person's life looks like his justice in my life. Which means that on the cross, Jesus died for all the sins that I committed. Listen, Jesus died for every imaginable sin. He's bigger than it. But here's what I would never tell you. I would never tell you that doing this means that you have to put yourself back in a dangerous situation. I would never tell you that you have to be around somebody who strikes fear into your heart. I would never tell you that you have to be around somebody who would potentially abuse you again. I wouldn't tell you that. Why don't you listen to this? Forgiving someone does not mean excusing the person from serious consequence. A murderer, a rapist, a child molester, a child abuser can and should face natural legal consequences for their crimes and actions. You can forgive someone in Christ and still press charges. You can forgive someone in Christ and never see them again for your own protection. You can forgive someone and have them arrested for the protection of others. This is biblical. Even take David, take David's sin. David, a man after God's own heart. And David committed adultery. And then he had the woman's husband killed. And not just her husband Uriah killed, but all the guys that fought alongside of him. Put him in a situation where they were sure to die. To try to cover his sin. And then God sent a prophet to him. And he repents. We have it recorded in scripture. One of the best chapters in the Bible is David's, Prayer of repentance. And God forgave him. David will be in heaven with us. But do you know what else he had? Serious consequences in this life. He said, The sword won't leave your house. This baby's gonna die, and the sword won't leave your house. His own kids try to rise up against him. The rest of David's life is sad, and it's the consequence of his actions. You can forgive someone and still and pray that they would be rescued by Jesus. And then put them in prison so that they can't abuse anybody else like they did you. Doesn't mean you have to look them in the eye. Doesn't mean you have to go spend Christmas with them. Y'all hearing this? This is, there's a difference. There's another bad thing that well-meaning people say. And maybe you've heard it. It goes something like this. All sin is the same. Have you ever heard that? All sin is the same in God's eyes. Really? Do we really believe that? Does the Bible teach that? In James, it says that if you've broken one point of the law, you're guilty of it all. And that just means that if we've sinned against God at all, like if you've just only done one sin, you're not more righteous than other people because it just means you've fallen short. God's standard represents his nature, you're guilty does it mean that all sin is the same that god views all sin the same no it doesn't in fact in scripture we see god comparing some people's wickedness to other people's and saying that some of it is worse and that their judgment will be worse we don't believe this in life here and now right let's let's say this i got a seven-year-old daughter a seven seven seven-year-old daughter name is molly let's say you come up to me and say hey man rob i'm sorry Man, I lied to Molly. I don't, just a stupid moment. Man, I'm sorry. I lied to her and she left believing it. And I say, all right, man, let's, let's sit down. This is great. Let's sit down with her. Ask her to forgive you. And this will be awesome for teaching her about the gospel and God's grace. Does that seem fair? Balanced response. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, man, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I raped your daughter. Hey man, all sin is the same. No. Unless God sends his strongest angels, I'm going to kill that person. Right? Daddy's fair, balanced response, I will murder somebody for doing that to my daughter. Except by the grace of God. Why? Because it's not the same. Why am I saying this? We need to feel the weight. Listen to me. What was done to you was evil. Don't pretend like it was anything else. Don't minimize it. Don't try to downplay it. Because our response to such a heinous, evil action demands that we pursue and dive headlong into the grace and mercy of God for hope and for healing. You cannot act like this was no big deal. You cannot act like time will heal this womb. You can't forgive and forget. You need to pursue Jesus hard. Because that's where hope is. That's where healing is. That's where your new identity is. There's another side to this. There is healing. And there is hope. Can I just tell you, I I interviewed a lot of people. I read a lot of articles and I interviewed a lot of people who have been through really horrible things. The common theme of what I looked for was people who have been through horrible things and who God is using in awesome ways. Man, there's another side to this. I won't say that people who have been abused and then saved and healed love God more, but I'll say this. What I see is that people who get it People who trust God for salvation, for healing and with his justice, who've been through painful things on the other side of it. And they're willing to get their hands dirty in other people's lives. And there, there, there is an intimacy with the Lord that is beautiful. There's another side of this. And all we have in Christ is hope. Man, I, I never thought I'd get married. I never thought I'd have kids. Man, I love it. I love it. I love being married. I love being married to both my wives. They're awesome. Just kidding. Just kidding. I don't love it that much. I think that would be that probably one. It's illegal, and I think that would be insane. Man, I love my wife. I love being married. I love my kids. I love being a daddy. And if anything, my past, when I, when the memories of my past or. Flickers of my personality remind me of what I've been through. If anything, it just pushes me harder into Christ. Man, I'm not I'm not captive to those fears anymore. And I tell you that to encourage you. All there is is real hope and healing in Jesus. We got to pursue it. So, for some of you, the first step, and I'm going to ask you to do this, and it, it may be very difficult. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it, it may be very difficult. Some of you have never told anybody what was done to you or what is currently happening to you. You never told anybody. You need to. For your own protection and for your own healing. But let me let me say this if somebody is abusing you in these ways, statistically, the chances of you being the only one are very small. Very small. You need to tell somebody. You need to come talk. And I'm not talking about going to your buddy on the three-man swing and saying, oh, by the way, you need to go to an adult. Go to somebody, your youth pastor, the leaders that came with you. Go to our staff that's working with you. Come talk to me. Don't. You weren't made to do this alone. We weren't designed to, to face life, period, alone. So don't try to handle this on your own. Come get help. Come tell somebody. Come talk about it. It's going to be painful. It's going to be dark. But on the other side is hope and healing. I promise. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. That's good news. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, I do. I pray that you would give boys and girls in this room right now. Uh, courage to come talk about this. God, I pray that we would truly find our identity in you. I pray that you bring healing into our life. God, I pray that you would stop the people who are committing these crimes. God, I, I, I pray that justice would be served in this life and the next. We trust you with that. God, free us from pain, from anger, from bitterness that would choke out the joy in life. Free us from the fear of repeating these actions. May we find our hope and our identity and our healing in you. You're so good, God. Thank you for your death and your resurrection. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys.